it was just over a year ago that we started. And there were several here. We had a nice crowd last year, so we did. Uh, but we probably were, what, in 20 states and three or four countries at that time? Since that time, God has richly blessed this, this little church that meets in a little house. Not a little house, but a house. <laughs> Middle Tennessee. And the gracious, kind people that allow us to meet here. And now we're in 21 or 22 countries. I keep forgetting the last count I got in 49 states. And I sent three video messages to men on death row today who study our notes. A young lady sent us, I think it was yesterday that Ivana sent us an email. She is in Paraguay and she translates our, our worship, our, our sermons into Spanish for that part of the world. It just keeps going. Now, I remember last year in our sermon series that we did, and it's still up there, we looked at the women that were in Jesus' genealogy and the stories behind each of them. We talked a lot about Mary, and I, it just hits me anytime I hear Janie Bell read the Magnificat, the prayer of Mary, that Mary wasn't much older than Janie Bell when she read that, when she stated that statement of faith, showing a great knowledge of the Old Testament and theology and history. She was a very well-educated, very wise young girl. But she was a young girl. And then on Christmas Eve, we went over the ancient traditions that had been accepted and rolled into what we today call Christmas. One of the things about being a minister is that every year Christmas rolls around. It's odd that way. Easter does the same. And you wonder, what are you going to say this year that's different than the last 20 times you did this. I'm not sure we always have to say something different because sometimes the old stories are still good to be told again. That's why we have oldies radio. Sometimes we just want to hear that story again. But I want to talk to you about a different way this connects with people and how we know where some of you are, it's not safe to watch this because of the countries that you're in, and we appreciate you taking the risk. So I want to talk about another ancient ceremony, the 1966 Andy Williams show. <clears throat> now you, those of us, those you know, in the room that are Americans of a certain age saw it. When I was a boy, I did not grow up with Christmas. I grew up in a religion that would not do holidays and uh, felt it was important to be aggressively against them. And so I, I didn't have that. At the same time, I, in, you know, outside and at some level, I was all in, you know, uh, judging neighbors and such was, I got very good at that actually. Still am, if you want to well, you know, have a go. But part of me ached to join in what others were celebrating. Part of me wanted the trees and the tinsels. I can remember my father even looking at Christmas lights in the street and going, oh, I bet there are a lot of accidents because people can't see cars' red lights. I mean, we really stretched. <clears throat> we really stretched this. But every so often, I would sneak and watch the wee monochrome, you'd call it black and white telly, and they would show clips of the Andy Williams show. Now, I didn't know it wasn't real. I didn't know it was a stage set. Maybe at some level I did, but I just saw these 
people around in Jammy singing and Andy Williams' wife was a young French lady that, oh my goodness, I might have been only six or seven, but I realized, you know something, that's a good looking woman. And I'm wondering if Christmas gets me that. You know, you wondered, you know, the flirting with being lost forever for having Christmas. I recently watched the 1966 special again. Unbelievably cheesy. <laughs> oh my goodness. I kept hoping nobody would walk in and watch me watching it. The cringe pegged the meter. And yet, I ached for what they had and I remembered what that felt like. The joy, the songs, the silliness, and faith. I wondered, how can this be wrong? Why am I locked out of this? But here's the thing, and I want you to think about this as well. Because some of you have watched commercials where a man buys two $80,000 pickup trucks without asking his wife what her favorite color is. <laughs> I, would, I would go out on a limb here and say that there might be problems in the marriage if not in a bank account. And you wonder, how did I get left out of this? Or you might be, this might be your first Christmas uh, with an empty place in the house. Whether that is cause of death, cause of COVID, cause of divorce, addiction. And you might wonder, how, how can I be locked out of this? Why didn't Jesus come for me? Why, why is everybody else so happy? One of the things that I often remind myself of is that Christ came for all people of all times and all places, which means that sometimes if all I'm singing are happy songs, I've missed the point. Because if I can't sing this song in the selection line at Auschwitz, it might not be a song for everyone. You see, Christ came for them too. He came for you. And what I saw on the Andy Williams show, by the way, was not reality. I know that now. They faced tragedy in their life. Claudie Langer and Andy Williams divorced after, I think, 14, 15 years of marriage and three children. That couldn't have been a good time. Later, she was arrested for manslaughter for the death of her live-in boyfriend. She was acquitted, and I have no reason to believe that she shouldn't have been. Uh, it seems it was an accident. But still... It just rubs it in, doesn't it? Everybody you meet is having a bad day. Everybody you meet has pain. And you might not see it. You might never know it. I've even had people look at me and say, Patrick, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. You've had just a perfect life. And I'm, because I used to be a shrink, I know how not to let my face go into weird positions. So I just smile and nod. Yeah. I can remember one time as, I'd done a, a family seminar, and as the people were going out, a lady was shaking my hand, but she was looking at my wife, and she said, it must be such a joy to be married to him. <laughs> my wife wasn't trained as a shrink, <laughs> so her face moved. So I allowed mine too as well, and go, no, you just see the performance. You don't see the person. We see the driver. We don't see Doug. We don't see Veronica. We, we see only what is shown. Every model, I'm told, everyone, I don't, I, often, I rarely get to visit with them, but I'm told that runway models 
all suffer from low self-esteem. And that's why addiction is so rife among them. Because when they look in the mirror, all they can see are imperfections. How sad. Every family sees what outsiders do not see. And they see it in themselves. And their mirrors shout at them. And even they are lying because mirrors are kinder than pictures. And you look and you wonder, what happened? Here's the thing. We aren't okay. We're blessed. We're the richest people in the history of the world. I bring this up frequently. I bought a banana, not this particular thing, but I bought a banana two days ago. It's rubbish by now because that's how quick bananas go. They go from green to mush in a banana second. It's a scientific term used in physics. But I bought a banana. The sign said 19 cents each. The sun king of France in the palace of Versailles could not have had a banana in December. Solomon, in all of his glory. And I did the math once. Um, and I could make up the numbers here because you're not going to do the math, but I'm, I'm just going to confess that I've forgotten the math. But it was massive storehouses full of gold and jewels that he had. And yet, that was not a happy man. His life had an awful lot of pain in there. We're the most rich, most blessed, most medicated, the most coddled and the most comfortable people and we ache for something we do not have. There is a hunger in us that cannot be satiated by food, uh, iPhones, sex, raves, work, medals. We look at each other and we say, something's wrong. And God goes, I agree. Something is missing. And so he took action. And here's where he... He almost loses me. It took a long time for me to really grab back hold and really understand the story a bit more. Because you see, I come from a very long line of military and police officers and law enforcement at different levels. And, uh, oh, and to be fair, criminals. Some of them I have hit the trifecta, all three. They were, they were all three in one. But I look upon, how do you, how do you take a village how do you clear a house? How do you launch an invasion? Even Eisenhower, the great American general who was in charge of D-Day, you may not know this, but the night before D-Day, he wrote a letter and gave it to reporters to be published only if the invasion was a failure. Because reporters were different kinds of people back then, the letter was not leaked until after his death. In the letter it said, if this failed, you need to know it was my fault. And entirely my fault and no one else's. What a, what a general to step up and say, I take responsibility before the first shot. God launched an audacious move. He sent in a baby. And you don't do that to take a village to take a town, to take a planet. But he did. I wrote this years ago. It's not really poetry. It's just lines strung together. 
but see if it resonates with you. He sent a baby. Didn't see that coming. Oh, we knew he would send something or someone, and it was going to be awesome and terrible. Truth be told, we, we deserve terrible more than awesome. For thousands of years, we gave lip service and not much else. We worshiped ourselves. We did our own thing. We hoped for a king who would destroy our enemies while overlooking the fact that our sins were just like theirs. But sending a baby, what was he thinking? We wanted a sword-swinging, curse-flinging, doom-bringing king on a big horse. We got a baby. Born to a not-quite-married girl in a nowhere town in a shabby room. Maybe we weren't the only ones who didn't see that coming. The devil didn't seem ready for it either. I mean, none of it really makes sense. Baby, nowheresville, father goes absent, 12 unemployed guys as his posse, religious people opposing him, nailed to a tree, naked, humiliated, right in front of his mother, AWOL from the tomb a few days later. He came from the, as a baby, one of us. He walked with us, ate with us, loved us, told us to do what he did. And then he told us, we're good. He can leave now. And so he did, straight up. What a story. Not what we were expecting, but exactly what we needed. The baby was God and King and Savior. Who knew? Not me. I didn't see it coming. I thought he'd come with fire and all cheesed off. We deserved no less than hell, but he gave us heaven. That baby, wow. He was more than a baby. So glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Those of us in the room and those of you who wish to join us, are welcome to participate in the communion. If you do not have these, they're across here at this table and also upstairs. You are not required to participate, but you are welcome. If you're in a place where you don't have bread and a wee bit of wine or grape juice, and by the way, if you're new to this, this is grape juice in here, so your kids are okay. You don't have to have a bit of bread and a bit of grape juice. You can have whatever you have. Prisoners in Auschwitz and Dachau, they took bits of moldy bread and muddy water. If a baby can take a planet, that'll do. And so we take the bread. Now, we look at this and we elevate it as we should and we say the body of Christ, as we should, and as indeed it is. But do we understand what that means? It doesn't just refer to the body of the baby that was born in Bethlehem, nailed to a cross, rose from the dead, and resurrected. Although, that would certainly be enough, wouldn't it? I think that would be enough. But he also told us that we are now his brothers and sisters. We are now his friends. And in the great judgment scene in the book of Revelation, when we all arrive, he steps off of his throne and walks with us. 
we are the body of Christ. So Bob or Veronica or whoever you're looking at and you're wondering and you're thinking, well, their life looks pretty sweet. Maybe not, but they're the body of Christ. And that particular person, that boss, that employee, that relative, whatever, if you're in a small house church right now, don't look. That relative or whoever, they're the body of Christ too. When we take this, we're doing certain things. We are declaring allegiance to a baby who was born Lord at his birth, king of all, who snuck up on the devil, on the rest of us too. We declare allegiance to him, but we also go further. We look at our neighbors and we look at our enemies and we say, peace on earth, the body of Christ. And then we elevate this, as we should. And we say the blood of Christ, and we think of the blood on the cross, as we should. For one of the, the other twists in the tale is that salvation is free to us, but it was not to him. It cost him everything. All my life I've had people ask me, well, why did he have to do it that way? And I'm not so sure that he did, but by doing it this way, we can never say God is holding out on us because you've given the best and all you've got. So the blood of Christ, as we take this, we declare allegiance to our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we partake and the whole church says, amen, the blood of Christ. He was more than a baby. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Thank you, sweetheart.